0: Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. world needs bad men. We keep the other bad men from the door. <laughs> The Gladen Oz has spoken! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Who are you? Who are you? A very bad man. I'm a very good man. Good man. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, I'm struggling with this. Is it JIF or is it GIF?
1: So there's a, big, there's a big nerd debate about this, and the guy who originated the file format – here we're talking about the little animated pictures of cats and stuff that Matt Welch has made part of, uh, of the Very Bad Wizards podcast. There's a big or nerd GIF. debate, and it's, it's either – so the guy who invented that format swears up and down that it's pronounced JIF, but I don't think that he's the final arbiter of this. Like I actually think it's GIF. It's too close to gift for me to actually care what that guy says. So you're like the Derrida. <laughs> exactly. He's not He has no say. <laughs> he also
0: has no voice. That's but my... I think in this case, first of all, G I often is soft. It's a soft G for G I. Magic. It's not magick, right? It's like a magic. <laughs> yeah. Well like
1: giraffe, right? But just yeah, or it's giraffe. so close to gift.
0: But second of all, um,
1: by the way, I'm David Pizar from Cornell University. Yeah, you are.
0: <laughs> I, I think you just leave it up to the guy, given that it could go either way.
1: And I, it's, it's the other thing that fucks me up is that the peanut butter that's called Jif is spelled with a J. So I have a very clear in my head notion of what Jif is supposed to look like when it's spelled out, and it's with uh, a J.
0: You know, I didn't think of that, but now I'm starting to come <laughs> I'm starting to see it your way. Let's right write now.
1: a strongly worded letter to the guy. <laughs>
0: All right, uh today's he- episode was well, so I I wanted to do pretty much a whole episode on the on the crisis in Ukraine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I shot we sh-
1: that down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, your boy Vladimir Putin, uh he's he's starting a lot of trouble right now and if there's 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 deep questions about uh what it is that we should do and <laughs> You know, unfortunately, I don't think either of us know enough about it or virtually anything about it, really.
1: Have, I'm, sort of a, I'm aware of this person named Putin that you mentioned.
0: And you're now aware that there is a country called Ukraine.
1: <laughs> uh, some <laughs> of my I, best friends are Ukrainian.
0: I was um, watching Jeopardy! the other day, and this is what I do now, you know, with my injury. And uh, <laughs> there was you know, geography categories are the ones I do the worst on. There was one question. It was like borders. This country is bordering the something-something river and this country and this country, you know, and someone immediately got the answer. I had never heard of any of the, the, the things or places that they were talking about. <laughs> like, if you, like any of the... I, I never heard of the river. I never heard of any of the countries, the countries that were... It the might borders. as well have been
1: Middle Earth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If you would just ask me... Is is it a real country? Like, <laughs> yes or no? I would have I I would have had a 50-50 chance of getting. Well, that you know,
1: right. I I blame the uh, Soviet Union for disbanding. Um, because when when we were growing up, it was very easy. You're just That's like true. everything was the USSR, you know. And now now we have to learn all these other countries. It's just so weird.
0: first they do that, first they fuck up our geography, and now they're starting trouble in Ukraine. <laughs> it's a problem. So. <laughs> According to, I know, some politicians, Obama needs to step up and do something about it. I tend to think that that's wrong, but I'm not basing that on any, on any well, no- geopolitical knowledge. Uh,
1: maybe I can segue into this this Flash episode by saying maybe what he should do is apply subtle psychological techniques <laughs> to Putin <laughs> and therefore influence him to do the right thing. Uh, yeah,
0: that, that is a great segue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, t- so
1: explain what the topic is. So this sort of, this this came out of our discussion with Paul Bloom when we were mentioning the the power of reason. And one of the things that we mentioned was one of the studies done by my good friend Jonathan Lavov and uh, a couple of his co-authors, Danziger is the, the lead author, on Israeli judges and their decisions about parole. Uh, this is a paper that made quite quite a bit of impact. But in a nutshell, what that paper shows is that when these judges are making parole decisions, they're pretty drastically affected by whether they make that parole decision before they get a chance to take a break and have a snack. This is one of the findings that Paul Bloom sort of brushes aside. <laughs> um, but and and
0: I, it's weird because having, having looked at the data— it's It's hugely significant it's like you go from having a sixty five percent chance of being paroled right after they've had their their you know their their breakfast uh, and they're early in the day to having a zero percent chance of being paroled. It's not like normal social psychology where it's just like you know <laughs> yeah.
1: you mean all, you, all the papers that you
0: read <laughs> you have to massage the statistics and give them a happy ending in order to like get anything to
1: no, I know. And, and there are, you know, there are a lot of objections. Um, there there were a lot of objections raised, but as far as I know, this, this finding stands. I mean, so, so um, it doesn't, it, it is not as if the prisoners are somehow non-randomly assigned to time of day. It's not as if the really bad prisoners get, get presented first. It's not as if the bad attorneys forget to make appointments until later. no. It, it really does seem to be just the mere presence of the brakes. Now, these aren't decisions about culpability. These are c- criminals already. So it's not – they're not guilty or not guilty decisions. But they are decisions about whether or not somebody should stay in prison or be, be released. And I mean in
0: some ways it really is –
1: it's as it's, momentous. Yeah, especially the to the guy, right? To the to, guy To the prison. person, right? As, as imagine imagine if, if you learned that that had an influence on, on your decision. It would be like <laughs> throw the judge a power bar. You know.
0: yeah you bring like some muffins <laughs> like they do for if you're ever on a thesis committee and they yeah. I know why they they bring yeah. the muffins or the
1: donuts or I remember whatever. at Yale they they started banning um apparently there became there was an arms race um and, and people were begging, <laughs> bringing like champagne and shit <laughs> and they had to put, they had to squash it which, yeah.
0: <laughs> right <laughs> bring like some really good single malt scotch and you're like, you know like
1: what yeah. So the the nature of these subtle influences so, so there can be a debate as as we sort of had with Paul about whether or not so how important and pervasive these are but what we what I think is 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 pretty clear is that a lot of these things can be manipulated. So nobody here in this is arguing that that we should manipulate judges by by not giving them food or giving them food. But there are lots of findings where it, it becomes sort of the natural next step to ask whether or not these tactics should be used to influence people. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about uh, today, because the field of behavioral economics and judgment decision-making, as it's growing in popularity and power, it's becoming increasingly a real option to use some of these subtle, what what some uh, Dick Thaler and Cass Sunstein have termed nudges, um, becoming increasingly a, a popular alternative to say, well, if we want to manipulate people, let's let's use some of these manipulations that we glean from the psychology literature and the behavioral science literature to try to influence people uh, one way or another. And full disclosure, I uh, work with a team, BE Works out of Toronto, um, where we do this for a living. So we're a consulting company and we, that's, that's what we do. We meet with corporate clients and we tell them how they can use psychology to make more money. And sometimes I feel dirty about it. (laughs) But I want to know whether I should...
0: So, so yeah that, that's the topic for today before we leave this study there's a couple of interesting questions that just this finding itself raises it shouldn't matter what order you're being presented for parole that shouldn't make any difference in terms of the judgment of whether you're granted parole <laughs>
1: right right i don't know what normative theory would say like well they deserved it because you know he
0: went <laughs> at 11 30 they hadn't had anything to eat for, <laughs> right. for two and a half hours, uh, right. and Right there so he had it coming the question is what you do about that and one thing you could do is is really codify the law put it into categories take it out of the hands of these parole boards and just make it something like you add up their points based on some sort of system you know then it just doesn't matter what they've eaten all they have to do is make the necessary calculations you probably wouldn't even need a hearing of course the other alternative is to keep it up to the discretion of of a board within general guidelines, which seems to be what we have now. And there has been a movement in criminal justice. Well, there's movements on both sides. It's a big debate of how much discretion judges and juries should have. And I'm definitely on the side of giving judges and parole boards and as much discretion as possible. But these kinds of findings fuck with me right. because they, if they're so much less likely to grant somebody parole after they haven't eaten for two, two hours, and there's got to be so many other of these biases.
1: It's disturbing, that- right? Because you can take care of one, but you don't know. But it seems like a hydra. Like you never know what at an individual level, for instance, if, if the judge didn't get enough sleep right i mean these presumably these effects are due to to fatigue of some sort right i love the quote that they end with says yeah you know, right justice is what the judge ate for breakfast might be an appropriate caricature for human decision making in general which th- that should really bother people right that should really yeah. bother people and this and is- it
0: should especially <clears throat> bother people like me who want who don't believe that a, a predetermined category is uh, are the way to go when it comes to justice, who really think you need human beings taking every particular case, because cases are unique, and taking all the factors from a particular case and and making a judgment based on that. I mean, I'm, I'm so firmly in that camp. But when it comes to things like this, and God only knows what race the person is, how right. the size of the person the, you know, the looks of the person, all of these things have got to have a big effect. There's a couple of things like,
1: so one, you don't have to think that these, uh, these small influences have a long lasting or enduring effect on something like attitudes, right? It's, it doesn't need to be demonstrated that judges change their view of the penal code or something because of this. All that matters is that it, that it affect them temporarily briefly and in a subtle way and then it can have these huge huge implications right these huge effects and and so so that's an that's enough right there to make us scared it
0: does seem like there might be ways to address a situation like that like so maybe you don't you have to set it up so that the person comes twice at two different times of the day, or that they you know that they only make their decisions at the end of the day they don 't make their decisions right at the time when they have the hearing or something
1: right like you that. know one of the interesting things about this paper, and i 've talked to Jonathan Labo about this is that it 's unclear which of the decisions is the normatively correct one so uh, so the implication here, given all of the research on say decision fatigue and say information overload is that the inferior decision is made when you don't have the appropriate sort of cognitive resources to, to think about the cases. But, um, but it's not entirely clear that what's maybe in fact the fatigue judges are, are closer to, to accurate. And I I was just reading a paper today about the influence of disgust on judgments of punishment. And it turns out that if, if a crime, these are, are, these are just scenarios presented to, to individuals. Um, but when you give people a description of a crime that was committed, if it has disgusting things as part of the crime, uh, people are actually closer to what the model penal code says you ought to do than if it doesn't. So imagine these two pairs of cases. Um, the model penal code, I guess, gives guidelines for how much punishment Um, is deserved by certain kinds of criminal violations. So one is a person stabs someone in the neck and in the arm, and there's lots of blood spurting everywhere. And another one is a person uh, pulls out a gun and attempts to shoot someone but misses. Um, And I don't know if those two examples are the exact right ones, but imagine that both of those, the law says, are equivalent in terms of um, what punishment you should dole out. Well, it turns out that that the presence of something disgusting like blood spurting everywhere actually makes people more severe in their punishment judgments which right. makes sense but it turns out that they are actually closer to the model penal codes recommendations it's the people in the dry, non-disgusting situations that are undershooting.
0: Make, so I see what you're saying. Yeah. You're saying that like it might be that these emotions that we would au- sort of automatically assume might be biases, that w- they might actually be the thing that are there might be tools for us to accurately right. calculate what the proper judgment and is.
1: And as soon as I read that, I thought, oh, Tamler's going to love this finding, because you, you often argue that, that disgust might play a, a, an important role in sort of energizing, energizing intuitions about injustice.
0: Here's a the problem with that with this whole with that whole approach is the model petal code is not something that you know it itself could be overly harsh no uh, true
1: true but that's that's one of the few that actually has some sort of normative comparison um, right. Right. So. So, yeah, it could very well be. It could very well be that the intuitions that gave rise to the model penal code are are a result of over sort of. But,
0: but no matter where you stand on the degree, and I, I want to do a whole episode on how much emotions should matter in, in criminal justice, no matter where you stand on that issue you should think that it shouldn't matter how how hungry you are. No, right? absolutely. Right.
1: So if you're right, if you get closer to the right answer, it's completely by fucking accident. And that's okay. not a reliable way to do things. And this. that's not
0: fair. Right? <laughs> that's not like, fair. It's right. just not fair. So even I would say that, and I right. normally have no patience for this kind of everything has to be systematic and, and consistent. Right. So this is why I like this. This is I'm going to say something nice about social psychology and all this research is the more we know about these kinds of things, the more we can address them. And this seems like one that if people put their heads together, they could address at a level without, you know, taking away the discretionary power of a a hearing board, without taking away discretionary power. So so you can get all the benefits of the discretion that you give to human beings rather than some sort of, you know, codified system of law. And you can eliminate as many of these biases as possible. It doesn't. It seems like that's something that's a third alternative. That right. Might be the
1: best. I'm I'm really torn about this because on the one hand, I, I get it. Like I do want there to be sort of the power to make to make exceptions that take into you know no fucking algorithm can take into account um, it, you know all the nuances of a situation. But at the same time, I'm I'm struck by the feeling that most of these biases are working against people, and that if you can cut down on errors by establishing clearer rules and constraining the the, say in this case the judges. Ability to go outside of them, then because who knows how many of these biases there are? We,
0: we, it's like whack a mole. you you we take care of this bias, and then a new bias comes up. Right, right. Uh,
1: and so it may very well be that you implement a power bar. You know, like during during deliberations, policy. Um, <laughs> <you> force <laughs> feed power bars, <laughs> uh, which leads to to another question: Is you know, if we're willing to do that, then it does seem like a natural. Uh, the, the natural reaction is to therefore implement some sort of policy to change, to, to remove this bias. An even more interesting question is whether or not these findings should, should allow the government, say, in terms of making public policy, to, to use these kinds of tactics in favor of getting people to act as they ought to act. Now, what if I want to make people less likely to eat fatty foods? Right. right. So I implement More
0: likely to give blood or. Right. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Likely to give blood. All right. Well, let's uh, take a very quick break and we'll talk about that um, in the second segment. durden tyler was a night person while the rest of us were sleeping he worked he had one part-time job as a projectionist see a movie doesn't come all on one big reel it comes on a few so someone has to be there to switch the projectors at the exact moment that one reel ends and the next one begins you look for it you can see these little dots come into the upper right hand corner of the screen in the industry we call them cigarette burns that's the cue for a changeover he flips the projectors, movie keeps right on going, and nobody in the audience has any idea. Why would anyone want this shit job? Because it affords him other interesting opportunities. Like splicing single frames of pornography in the family film. So when the snooty cat and the courageous dog with the celebrity voices meet for the first time in Real 3, that's when you'll catch a flash of Tyler's contribution to the film. Nobody knows that they saw it, but they
1: did. Nice, big cock. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. Um, Okay, now we're going to get into some nitty-gritty about the problem of psychological manipulation and behavioral economics and everything that that entails. But before we get to that, I wanted to say, Tim and I wanted to say, uh, we really appreciate all the support you guys have been giving us. There's a couple of ways, if you're a new listener and you like us enough to want to support us, you can go to our webpage at verybadwizards.com and under the support tab, you'll find a couple of ways. One, you can donate via PayPal directly, or two, you can click on the Amazon link and there are instructions there. Do your regular shopping through Amazon on. You won't get charged anymore, but we'll get a little bit of what you buy. And uh, you can follow us on
0: Twitter at Tamler, at p s and at VeryBadWizards. That account is generally run by Matt Welsh. Uh, Matt Welsh also runs our extremely popular Tumblr page. I think it's definitely the most well-liked and and uncontroversial – well, not uncontroversial, <laughs> but popular thing about the podcast.
1: Uncontroversially popular. It probably will – it will probably outlast the actual podcast. The podcast is almost a side effect of the of the Tumblr page yeah. even though it's causally in, in the wrong it's direction. It's a necessary
0: evil <laughs> of, the, of, of the Tumblr page, I think. <laughs> That's right. And nobody's accusing t- uh, Matt Welsh of being – Drunk, which is um, what one of our recent iTunes. Reviews. I assume
1: they're accusing you because I'm always so sober in, no, in I, thought and in in thought I, and I, in alcohol. I content. hope
0: they're accusing you. <laughs> <laughs> if they're not, it means I am not as good at, at holding my liquor as I as I, as I thought. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> you definitely are not. Oh, uh, speaking of iTunes, on iTunes, uh, you can uh, you can rate us, which we love. But also, you can check out our old episodes. And one of the things that Dave and I are going to do from now on is just recommend an old episode from our archives to listen to that we particularly like now just because we like it that doesn't mean that other people will like it in fact we're very bad at predicting which is (laughs) going to be our most popular ones. that is true um but uh but you know for what it's worth here are some of our favorites so dave what's your recommendation for this week
1: So one of my favorite, even though it's one of Tamler's least favorite, is the one uh, episode 29 on performance-enhancing drugs, tenure pills, and hyperbolic chambers, which was an allusion to your (laughs) common mispronunciations. Maybe that's why I don't like that episode. (laughs) Maybe that's why people think you drink a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I still think she might have been referring to you. I think you might sound drunker than I do. I I generally have the giggles. (laughs) So mine is um, episode 17. I really like this episode. Uh, it's called "Learning About Bushmen by Studying Freshmen." It's about the main topic is a paper by Joe Henrich and et al., I guess um, uh, that 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 talk about how most psychology and, and um, behavioral economics, most of that work is done studying undergraduate college students in the United States, and that is a very weird population. It's not representative of the psychology of uh, humans around the world. And it's also an episode that I don't remember what we were fighting about, but we were fighting. You and I were arguing a lot about that episode before it, and then for some no, reason right. it's one of my favorites. Like, it just came out really well. So
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. And we were, and we were arguing. Yeah. Quite a bit. So I don't think we're going to argue too much today, although who knows. But for this segment, at least what I want to talk about was, since this is a short episode, it really is. I'm, I'm cheating a little bit because it's a topic that's been on my mind because I feel dirty for some of the behavioral economics consulting work that I've been <laughs> doing. And the question is really, you know, as we- plus some of the tricking. Well, so, well, no, I never feel guilty about that. As, yeah. as Walter Sinnott Armstrong told me the other day, guilt is a useless emotion. He said <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> good. <as> you know, <laughs> I'll keep that in mind in my interactions with him.
1: So uh, now that we know a lot about how to influence and persuade, and we have decades of research, not just from behavioral economics, but but social psychology. We know a whole lot about how to influence individuals. The government, through its communications, could influence us. Um, uh, corporations can influence us pretty easily through sort of using this consumer psychology or judgment decision making research and have for a while and they have been doing for a while the UK has this nudge unit dedicated to sort of altering the behavior of of the people of the UK by using these psychological nudges um, these tricks from behavioral economics and I, and I think it's a it's it's a question that's been bugging me a little bit because I want to know how guilty to feel what level of manipulation, psychological manipulation, is, is ethically appropriate? And I don't know what the answer is, but, um, but let me give you some examples. So one is I think that everybody agrees that if, if you are right deceive a consumer, that it's wrong, right? So, so I just wanted to anchor on that, right? If you just lie to people and say like this, this will make you lose 50 pounds in one month um, and that's why you sell, that that's just wrong. But that's not what what the science of nudging is is all about. But then you have let's let's call this a, a gray what I think is a grayer area, but some in between land where you have the classic um, uh, unconscious sort of manipulations, and that's what the the little clip from the Fight Club is alluding to. So you flash something at at, at, at subconsciously um, below the threshold of awareness. So the consumer never knows whether they're being manipulated or not. Now, it used to be thought that this didn't work, but there is some evidence that at least in some cases it works. So here, the consumer never even knows that they, they've been manipulated, right? They didn't. They have no knowledge that there's even been an attempt at manipulation. So, and then, and then finally, you have just. But some that's more not sp- the nudging either, right? I mean, that's, that's not what Sunstein and and Thaler are. are no,
0: recommending. that's
1: not. That's yeah. not what they're recommending, right? What they're recommending is just presenting the right information. So you give everybody access to the information they know that they're being targeted they know that they're being um, that there's an attempt made to persuade them but you use some sort of changing the context in which the information is given change the comparison condition and and you alter their behavior so a good example of this is presenting a uh, decoy price option so you have two two options that you're trying to sell a consumer a cheap one an expensive one a better one and a worse one And um, you can alter which one they go for by simply presenting a third decoy option. It's a third option that should make absolutely no difference when you're comparing the first two. Now, here you've given people the same exact information as before. It's just that you're using sort of this (laughs) psychological conjuring, this this sort of manipulation in order to convince people. Framing, right? Framing. Exactly. You framed the information right. So I want to (laughs) know, is even this last level, what do you think? All right, well, I'm
0: glad you uh, asked me because I'm a philosopher, I'm an ethicist, and this is what I do, right? I don't know why Chuck Klosterman is doing that bullshit fucking New York Times thing, and they didn't even ask me. Um, So um, as, as is my want, I've come up with a theory. I've come up with a theory. Is it, is of it, condition- is it
1: necessary and sufficient? <laughs> That's right.
0: Done some conceptual analysis. No, <laughs> I've, got, I've, uh, I've come up with a theory because um, we've talked about this a little bit before. And Pretty I've, smart for a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> the, so, so there's two things. There's two factors you have to consider. Two moral vectors, I guess. Vectors? Is that right? Vectors, valences. Mm-hmm it's It's something with a v <laughs> anyway it's something with a v so uh uh so so the first is what the benefits of the of the particular manipulation or framing or whatever you want to call it how is it going to benefit society right, right. so that's the first vector or some v word the second is um is is the effect on our autonomy right so the more manipu- manipulative it is the worse the greater the threat or the attack i guess on your autonomy the greater uh the worse it is and then uh, and then the other is the greater the benefit to society or to the consumer or to the citizen or whoever then then the better it is and you just have to these two things go against each other and you just have to you know weigh the two against each other and try to come to some conclusion about whether one of them outweighs the other. Now, last thing I'll say about this, right? So what does it mean by autonomy here, right? Because we're not talking about free will. They're not an attack on our ability to do otherwise in the strong metaphysical sense, right? But I think there is a sense of autonomy that we're really concerned about in these cases. And I think it's this. I think it's what the person would want to do upon reflection, right. right? What they would endorse upon reflection, the choice that they would make upon reflection. The more you're taking them away from that, the greater the threat to their autonomy. The more you might be nudging them towards that, the 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 less the threat to the autonomy. You might even say that it's actually some a, a kind of a positive. It's actually making them freer, right? right? Philosophers call this you know what you know whatever matches their higher right, order desire. Right. So, higher, right? so, so you this can the
1: Frankfurt thing.
0: So let's take the organ donation yeah. example. Although quickly, can, you
1: know, this is there's a clear case in which people do this to themselves. Yeah. It, it, they may be wrong about it, um, but people are more than willing to try. Um, hypnosis in order to stop smoking cigarettes for instance they're more than willing to bypass their own autonomy like listen to subliminal tapes in order to, to but that's because their more. second
0: order desire
1: exactly yeah it's an example of what wrong. right it's yeah it's a, it's yeah. an example in support of of your claim yeah, yeah, yeah. that that we're sometimes willing to bypass our our own autonomy in order to meet our higher order desires.
0: So let's take the organ donation example. The idea is there are certain countries where filling out your form to get your driver's license and they say, if you die in a car accident, do you want to donate your organ? For some countries, the default option, the option that you just, if you don't say anything, will be the option you take is that you donate your organs. And for some, the option, you actually have to check a box in order to donate your organs.
1: Right. And it has a— So in the U.S., you have to check a box. And yep. in the U.S., you have to check a box. And this
0: has a huge effect, right? And there are cool stats, and I looked this up.
1: Yeah, no, it's as clear. It's, a, it's as strong as effect as you can get.
0: And Dan Ariely, your boy, does yes. this. Um, he takes similar countries, and he sort of compares them. So like Austria and Germany, right? Two, two just countries filled with just evil people. Right,
1: but but it's not like one is worse than another, right? There are some Germans who I love, and they know who they are. No, I know.
0: (laughs) I I love Germans; they're great. Now, but the point is, it was all part of one big Prussian Jew hating empire, (laughs) right? So Austria has an opt that you have to opt out of donating your organs, and Germany has you have to opt into donating your organs. Austria, ninety nine point eight percent of the people. Donate their organs. Germany, twelve percent right. of people donate right. their right. organs. Right. Uh, right. Belgium and the Netherlands, again, two countries that nobody knows the difference between, other than you can go to Amsterdam and smoke pot. Well, I know Jean Claude Van Damme <laughs> is from is from one of them. <laughs> <It's> from one of them. Right. Ninety eight percent for Belgium because they have, you have uh, yet they have the default option being donate your organs. Netherlands, twenty eight percent. Uh, yeah. because they don't, right? right Sweden and right. Denmark, 85% for uh, Sweden because they you have, the default is donate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denmark, 4%. So it's a huge difference. It makes all the difference in the world uh, right. right
1: here. So what do you think about that case? So actually, you know, I, part of it depends on what's going on, right? So, so one version of what's going on might be that um, – People aren't paying attention to the information, so nobody's paying attention, and therefore they gloss over the thing. They don't check. They don't bother to act and so uh, because they haven't processed the information appropriately, and so they just move on to the next question, no- noting only that they don't need to do anything, and they get opted in. That's one version of what could be happening. The other version is that, that somehow it's communicating a norm that, you know what? We all do this, and communicating that norm says, well, I guess I'll do it too. I won't change it. Um, and that, that in some way, philosophers like this, it's, it's a, a Gricean sort of communication, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. A Gricean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Shoutouts to Colin again. Um, so, in that case, it's less disturbing. What I wouldn't want is for it to be a case of deception. You don't want it to be the case of the credit card company who puts a big old – in big old numbers, they put 3% APR. And then really tiny numbers, they put – after six months, it's 21%. Right. right. You don't want it to be a case of that. So I would be – and and what I don't know actually, I'm embarrassed to not know, but I don't know if there have been any studies done on whether people after the fact, if they're asked, you know, D- did, you, did you choose this? Did you know about this? I, in the US, you get a big old sticker. Right on your license that says i'm an organ donor right or at least in some states and that can um, help you like if you're mclovin <laughs> that's right you're an organ donor that's right uh so it's crucial to me that, that people aren't being deceived but see here's the interesting so these are two separate questions right so what yeah. if so
0: we're assuming that this is just good for society if people don't more people donate their organs so i think that's yeah. pretty much a given Right. So then the issue is what to what extent this is a threat to autonomy. Right. And so 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 here's the question. Right. The way I framed it at the beginning, what would matter was would be what these people would want to do upon reflection. Yeah. Right. Now, it could be. That what they want to do upon reflection is donate their organs. So yeah. it might be right that um, that you have to trick people into in this case because they're at the DMV. They don't want to fucking be there. They're not thinking about being moral. They're thinking about getting the fuck out of there. And so the, it might be that you have to right. trick people into doing what they would want to do upon reflection when they're well, really thinking. About yeah, but and but that that's okay? kind
1: that's kind of what my distinction gets at because if people upon reflection would want to do it you all you would have to do is just present the information in this sort of tricky default like opt in mm-hmm. way um what i don't want what i'm afraid of is that there are plenty of people who upon reflection would not want to do that right uh, if what you're saying is that even if those people um don't want to donate their organs that that gets outweighed by the greater good to society that being an organ donor gets then then i'm no i got to say I don't think it's a trade-off. Like I don't want to bypass autonomy. If someone wants to be an asshole and be selfish, uh, I, want to, I, want, I want to let them do it. But, I don't.
0: But, but here's the interesting thing
1: about this case, right? You are letting yeah. them do it, right? That's right. The opt-out is not forcing them. Like they could easily check the box. Right. It's not like right. you're, you're hypnotizing
0: them or something like that. If they have a religious objection or whatever, they can have like right. – I, I just don't – like I don't want anyone benefiting from my death. Like they could have that, whatever it is, they can just just check
1: the box. It reminds me a little bit of the, uh, of the rebate programs, right? So, so uh, psychologists (laughs) and behavioral (laughs) economists have known for quite some time that, that even if you give people, if you say like $50 rebate, mail-in rebate. People will look at that and they'll say, "Oh, and they'll take mentally, they'll take fifty dollars off the off the cost of the pro- of the product that they're trying to buy, and they will never turn in that rebate." The law only requires that all of the information be present when people are making the decision, so people know that they're going to have to mail it in. They just make this error of optimism. They just think that, they, like they they think, "Oh, I'm going to totally turn it in," and they don't at all. How many and rebates
0: so, do you think you've had, and how many have you turned in?
1: I've maybe mailed in one thing in my life, and I to. For for the life of me, I don't even remember if I got a rebate back. But like, <laughs> right. I, that's the other. I, I, that's the thing. I have no I have no recollection. I mean, the losses they have to give it back, but you know, they could easily make it so that that you could just like uh, register over email and they'd like electronically deposit. But they don't because the law doesn't require that of them, and and they 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 make bank fully giving them all of the information and the ability to to. It's, out, not it's not enough. it's not right. enough, right? And so, so it
0: really uh, matters then what people would want to do. I think that that you know, if you want to decide about this organ donation thing, which seems right. to me like in the end kind of a no brainer, but but right. for me to make for me to be confident in that judgment. You would need to take a poll of people who come out of there and ask them, and give them some time, and say, okay, what would you want to do? And make it to get their actual judgment. And if their judgment is that they're fine with doing it, and that matches up even close to what the actual numbers are with the opt-in version, uh, or I mean, with the you know the, the, the the version where it's the default position then then i'm totally fine with it but if right. there's a big difference then i agree there does seem something problematic about it but what right. is it because it's well, like benefits society it can't hurt them they're dead what well like, so I, I
1: mean I, I think that one of the problems is is that that in isolation this case seems fine but but really wh- what's at the heart of it is that somebody might be manipulating you into doing something that that is not For the benefit of society and who's to decide what is and what isn't, you know, and this is always a bit of a a concern of mine with these psychological studies on persuasion. When we show that manipulating disgust changes people's attitudes in the in the sort of conservative political direction. Now, I, these aren't very powerful or long-lasting, I don't think, at least. But, um, I don't have the to say all, that just because we <laughs> had people, Paul Bloom on last time. <laughs> um, when I speak to liberal audiences, they just want to know how to manipulate. How do they get, say, conservatives to go to be more liberal? Um, it's offensive when people are trying to use it to do something that you don't agree with. And there is a lot of stuff that's up up in the air. It's up for debate. And I don't want to have a position that that is something like this, which I think you might have, but but correct me if I'm wrong. Which is, it's okay so long as I agree with the the, the end goal. <laughs> you think I might have that? Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that you somehow endorse the the uh, manipulation is okay as long as it meets my goals. But it's not OK if it's if it's in the service of something that I am in disagreement with.
0: Well, no, I actually don't have that
1: because <laughs> I'm not, like in favor of totalitarian regime. <laughs> no, but, but when you say if something is good for society, right? No, no, no. Um, I, I, I didn't. I, I said
0: like that. That is sort of a consi- Well, you're right. 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 So, right, so I did if, say that. Right. Um, I also said that organ donation was good for society. Right. But in my theory, this is the problem with theories. Right? <laughs> uh,
1: that you're the one who was all excited about, about for, <laughs> sending a theory. It's like a theory boner for a second. I did. <laughs> I you, have... you haven't had that one since grad school. <laughs> I I got this justice thing licked. I Three things. Like, you
0: know, like this is something like I need to see a psychiatrist. The fact that i <laughs> wanted to to put forth a theory. Uh, yeah. in the first place is just problematic it's troubling
1: i'm telling you more this them. ankle thing it
0: fucks with your head but anyway <laughs> so um so
1: wait what were we talking about the uh whether it's good whether oh
0: uh yeah right right so like what's good for society i totally yeah. agree that's the tr- troubling part and this is how all to you know i think a lot of totalitarian societies start out with the idea that they're doing what's best for the people and right. coercing them into doing what's best for them,
1: right? Before you know it, you're getting caned for chewing bubblegum. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think that. I like that. I get your point. So, no, 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 but this is actually uh, Isaiah Berlin, right? This was his point when he's talking about the so-called positive freedom versus negative freedom. Negative freedom being lack of interference, positive freedom being I am free to do what's best, but often we don't want to do what's best for us. And so yeah. the idea that 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 coercion uh, into doing what some government or some other people think is best for us is making us more free. There's something extra insulting about that. Right. And I right. agree completely with you. Uh, that that's troubling. That that's a problem. But I totally respect somebody, and I guess I have a lot of family that's like this because I think Orthodox Jews um, right.
1: don't allow organ donation. Right. So, but so yeah, some people are are opposed to it. I I would, I would hope it. that 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 people uh, the people who are extra opposed to organ donation are the ones who read that extra carefully. <laughs> they read it would be nice to show that those are the people least likely to be influenced by the opt-in uh, opt versus opt-out.
0: Yeah, it uh, would be. It would be nice to know that they weren't being tricked into doing something that was against their personal convictions. And, yeah. I, and you know, it may well be – it's not like we've done a ton of research on this. It may well be that someone has shown that um, or it may not. But I do think that's important. If we're trying to decide whether to switch our – I mean my, my intuition is that this is something we should do. Given those statistics that this is something we should do and we should do it fast because, like, people are dying because we have a default option that shouldn't right. be the default option. So right. my intuition is we should do it and we should do it fast. But I do think – By
1: any means necessary. <laughs> <laughs> any, any, like a fender bender should just turn into a fatal car accident. I'm just like, – I might as well
0: just call myself Herman Goering right now.
1: Uh, <laughs> So, so. okay getting out of the life and death situation there is one example that i want to give because it's actually i think probably relevant to you may have given it some thought and that is in the in the consumer as they say in the consumer space <laughs> um do they say that I've, they, they, i they do they do they said that but <laughs> the, the people say that so uh, and lately it's been in the news a bit if you're a tech nerd ios games right on your ipad or your iphone or on Android or whatever, where they're in-app purchases for games. So uh, the Simpsons tapped out. You build your own community and you could do it all without paying any money. But in order to, to get to that next level, it's, like a, it's easy if you just buy some donuts to help Homer build um, and that costs you $5 a pack. And there's tons of kids' games like this. Basically... People have taken all of the lessons that we've learned from the psychology of learning and all of the lessons we've learned from the addiction of gambling, and they've ported it into these iOS games. And people are spending thousands of dollars a month on these in-app purchases in games.
0: And like Candy Crush. or Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And that is just – that is per- perfectly taking like the, the stupid part of human psychology and just juicing it. Right.
0: And someone who has spent seventy five thousand dollars on Candy Crush, <laughs> I, f- I would fully support Apple. T- You're still on level t- twenty. Post- <laughs> steps, I'm still on level three. Right.
1: right. Well, uh, there's a clear. No, there's no, a clear no, I, case. I, yeah. I. I,
0: I it, it's interesting because I've I've been there. I'm I'm not that bad actually. And I and what I do is I just delete the games. I've probably deleted Candy Crush from oh, right. well, my daughter's iTouch, my wife's <laughs> iPad. My iPhone at least two times each and maybe yeah. more. Um, right. Like I, I get it and then I figure, okay, I'm good now.
1: I can handle it again and then <laughs> put
0: it back on and then I delete it. I, I,
1: if, I you realize, si- if you could sign up for the inability to ever uh, install it again onto your device, would you do that? Absolutely.
0: I would do that in a second. <laughs> right? Like I, I I want those apps, those apps, those right, commitment right. device apps. Yeah, yeah, those, yeah. Uh, so-
1: but, it's like when and, Google when Google had a little app that you had to that you had to do math problems in order to uh, to not email people. When Google, goggles. <laughs> I mean,
0: Google goggles. That's what that was. That was awesome. I, I used to have that.
1: I don't know why I got rid of it. <laughs> because you would never be able to email anyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but 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 that's an interesting question because yeah. I know that psychology. I don't know if you've been there, but like, and it's not the money because I haven't spent very much money. All joking aside, right. it's the time. It's right. like, but but I get the psychology of I, I I'm doing this, but I don't want to be doing this. I even right. know in not even the back of my mind, in the close to the very front of my mind that I don't want to be doing this anymore. And right. it's making me do, <laughs> something that's making me right. do it. These something about these games that like I and I and I am very addictive when it comes to these things, which is why I you know I have to place so many external constraints on myself. Right,
1: but yeah, no. I'm not, but I, dre- I I I dread like my kid doing something like that, right, and and getting like super super duper addicted to it. You
0: know what's right, worse no. is when your kid is totally fine with it, but you're bad <laughs> with it. so you have to be deleting games from your own child's. At- <laughs> <laughs> eye touch. She's like, "Fuck you, dad!" <laughs> <No>. it's like <laughs> not my fault that you you can't control yourself. <laughs> exactly. But she just like she grew up with it, so she just accepts it. So right. sad.
1: I I guess I have a bit of a libertarian streak where where I want more. I want there to be a market for pre-commitment devices. Yeah. Like what you say, like that to me would be the ideal solution. Cause, cause as you, as you say, it's even in the front of your mind, you're not being deceived. Really. You're, you're being manipulated by these games in a way that you, you know, full well, it's not unconscious. It's not, you know, it's, it is much like drug addiction in that sense. Um, where you know that you don't want the drug but you have to have it. Yeah. So what I want is like rehab programs for for these sorts of things. I want I want there to be a market for for the kinds of apps or the kinds of of, of messages to consumers or the kind the, the things that would combat the other. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean fair like risk. with drugs I've always thought this that like the thing that saved me from being a drug addict is that everybody thinks I'm a narc. Anytime I ask for <laughs> drugs when I was younger, I mean I you don't know, still do it, you're a dork. But, but they were just like no, get away from me, narc. <laughs> now it People don't call it Mary Jane anymore. So does. that, <laughs> <so> that way, <would, laughs> hey kids, could I get some reefer? I couldn't be an addict. You can't be an addict if you can't get any drugs in the first place, right? <laughs> so with these games, I'm like a celebrity. I'm like a celebrity that can have any. Any right. drug they want at any point. Price is no object. Access is no object. Like, can you,
1: can you imagine if porn, internet porn, had been around when you were 13? We would have been a waste of a life. My hats are off <laughs> to like functioning teenage boys. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't have a boy.
0: Yeah. Um, that you know of.
1: That I know. <laughs> <laughs> I All
0: think right. we should wrap up. All right. Well, tune tune in next time for very right. bad brain you're a very bad man i'm a very good man just a very bad wizard